I love I love the hunting down there, but um, I love the weather because usually here it's crappy and cold and snowing and. My first memory of actually hunting with my dad was uh, was five years old. Let's have a special class that hunters would have to pay for and have a special tag that hunters would have to pay for to be able to hunt these deer on Staten Island. We wrecked it, we shot ourselves in the foot and then, you know, fish and game in the last, I don't know how many years ago it was now, they started really putting money into um, the influencers and so on and so forth um, and really promoting the hunts. So, uh, welcome to another episode here of Season Hunter, and Mr. Tobert and I have another guest today, Mr. John Stallone from Arizona, and we'll uh, maybe just do a real quick recap on how we met, John, yeah. down, down in Arizona, where I'm sure it's super nice down there right now, is it? It is. It's actually, it's starting to get a little hot already. It's like, it's unseasonably hot, actually. Yeah, we, I think we were at 90 degrees yesterday in the middle of the day. And it's still like when you wake up in the morning, it's still in like the mid fifties. And then normally it would heat up. It would be like high seventies, low eighties. Yeah. But man, we've been hitting the nineties already. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, we're we're happy with when we've been getting fifties lately. It seems like as highs, <laughs> yeah, as highs, yeah. But I mean, spring weather this year's kind of been a little unseasonable too here, but and uh, yeah, but I don't know. It is kind of is what it is. I like Ari- I really like Arizona weather. Like when I met you in January. Oh yeah, that's why everybody comes down here. Because yeah, that's always said that you know, I love I love the hunting down there, but um, I love the weather because usually here it's crappy and cold and snowing, and once you get past that Alamo area town towards uh, Vegas, then uh, I think it's called Alamo something like that in Nevada. Then it starts getting nice. No more snow and yeah. But yeah, yeah, John and I met, uh, we were down there, I was down there hunting um, coos deer and javelina, and he's he's an outfitter. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, John, your background? Sure. And- Absolutely. Um, well, I've been, uh, I'm 46 years old. I've been hunting for about 41 years, maybe a little longer than that, but uh my first memory of actually hunting with my dad was, uh, was five years old and, uh, we, uh, we shot a buck together. He helped me or he had me hold the gun with him and we rested it on a fence post and let the old 35 Marlin rip. Uh, nice. not, not something I would, uh, would suggest that that was a, uh, <laughs> a dumb dad move from my dad's part because it kind of, <laughs> kind of made me gun shy for a little bit did it where were you living then uh i lived in new york i grew up in uh i was born in brooklyn i lived there till i was about uh eight ish something like that i don't know what it, whatever first no i was six i was six six or seven when we moved to long island and uh i lived to, in long island till i was about 16 then I moved to Arizona. So I've been living in Arizona now for 31, some, some odd years. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably a big change from a city like that, huh? 
Yeah. Well, see, Long Island is suburbs and I was, I used to hunt right there. And my dad would take me out every morning with the BB gun or, you know, we'd go shoot squirrels down the street and it, it was, it's a lot, it's really still kind of like that over there. It's not, it didn't change that much. Um, once you get onto Eastern Long Island, like you're past the midway point of Long Island, it gets very, there's like farmland. It's very, um, mm-hmm. It's very suburban and uh, almost rural. You know, it's, wow. it's pretty rural. Uh, I've always wanted to go to to New York. I know, like upstate, I hear is just gorgeous, and I've had some invites to go hunting, just never pulled the trigger and go on. I- that's where most of my hunting was done was upstate New York. Um, you know, for whitetail, yeah, uh, pretty much exclusively for whitetail. My dad wasn't really a turkey hunter. Uh, I guess they never really thought about hunting bears. It wasn't part of my, my family's from Italy. I'm first generation here. So, you oh. know, the, the mentality was, you know, go for meat and they didn't know that, you know, bear meat is excellent. And, you know, that wasn't like a thing. Yeah. Um, and, was there a lot of turkeys there then at that time? Yeah, there's a lot of turkeys. And Long Island right now, they're trying mm-hmm. to add a season. Uh, add it. There wasn't ever a spring season. It was just fall season for birds. And, um, I've killed quite a few in the fall from the tree stand, you know, but, um, there wasn't a spring season, but now it's crazy. Like people getting beat up in the streets from, from Turkey, you know, like (laughs) they actually have a problem in, in, in Staten Island, which is like in the city, you know, that's like not suburbia really, um, that there is turkey they're like sitting on the park benches there it's crazy wow. they come like pigeons <laughs> seriously it's bad it's a bad deal there's a lot of deer there too in staten island and oh. which is a crazy thing um i've actually talked about this a couple times before that i've used it as an example they um they pay, i don't remember how many millions of dollars they paid for this program to sterilize male deer wow in uh staten island and they were successful on like 10 bucks and they spent i mean millions and millions of dollars and the other thing that was proposed at the time was well let's have a special class that hunters would have to pay for and have a special tag that hunters would have to pay for to be able to hunt these deer on staten island and, you know, we'll allocate X amount of tags, whatever. I mean, they could have killed a hundred deer that they would have made money off of. I would, yeah. I would have gladly have done it. I would have paid, you know, a couple hundred dollars for that tag and, and yeah, yeah. hundred dollars easy for that, for that class to take, you know, to, to be able to, to effectively do it, safely do it. No, they didn't want to have anything to do with that. So they spent like, I mean, stupid amount of millions of dollars, like maybe, <laughs> maybe upwards of a of hundred. Something it's stupid, like a really a dumb mount. Wow. And, and they, it was it was a failed project. Um yeah. They guys out here with slobber over a chance like that. <laughs> you know, backyard deer. It was I mean, whatever. To each his own the actual hunting part of that, but the whole thing is like from a management standpoint, like yeah, just that's that's when public policy and management like that's the that's the border right there where public policy and and management it just doesn't 
a lot of the time it just doesn't make sense like they yeah. don't they yeah. they make decisions based on you know emotions a lot yeah. a lot of times they're not even hunters i mean they're just looking at well that's it that that's it, you know they're doing their accounting from their desk you know what people talk about them and, yeah yeah you got and you got to understand like in a place like new york even though there's a lot of hunters there yeah, from a percentage wise there's way more non-hunters sure you know and even probably even more anti-hunters than hunters oh i bet so it's 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 actually pretty crazy. Actually, there's two bills there right now in, in Long Island that's going to change the way bow hunting there, and and it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm actually I was working on this this morning when, before you called me. Um, there is a a bill proposed to eliminate the use in Suffolk counties, which is all of Eastern Long Island, the use of longbows and crossbows. So and I don't and I don't get it, like because. Now I could see you saying longbows are traditional archery because the proximity to public land and private land is like, boom, you're like right on top of, you know, like where I hunt, it's a five acre wood lot, it's yeah. public land, but it's surrounded by like million dollar homes. Okay. So if I shoot a deer poorly yeah. or, you know, with a weapon that's less effective, there's a very good chance that deer is going to run off the property that I'm allowed to hunt on and run into somebody else's land. So I could see that with the longbow. Okay. Right. Sure. But then you go the opposite end of the spectrum, which is a crossbow, which is crossbow. A, even more effective than a compound bow. I would, I would imagine, you know, like the ability to place your shot, you know, we're talking 20 yards. Yeah. Even though a compound bow is, has a, a longer range and is a, is an extremely effective weapon a crossbow is equally if not better than that right right um yeah so i don't get it i'm trying to find out the meat and potatoes of why it was proposed and the the the, the sponsoring senator right now is he's one of these guys that kind of just wants to please his constituents so if anybody would comes up with something he's like yeah okay let's do that so let's write this bill up you know so um yeah anyway i'm gonna be working on that uh, part of your health for wildlife which we'll get into in a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. um so quality wise just out of curiosity in new york with it being pretty overpopulated it sounds like with deer and stuff is the is there much quality at all maybe certain parts of new york oh more? yeah huge i um my biggest buck from there, from Long Island, he's a 160-inch deer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, from Long Island, that's... On my... That video is on my uh, my YouTube. It's called Swamp Donkey. Okay. I, I haunted this deer. Oh, yeah. I remember. I did watch that. I did. Which we'll put a link when we get done here at the end of this. We'll put a link to uh, your YouTube page as well and... and um, yeah, John, you know, he I, I was on his podcast. Uh, it's been a couple, two, two, three years ago. And um, yeah, um, yeah, when we did meet up there, we just kind of hit it off. We had mutual friends out. Exactly. With Perry. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Perry called me up, says, hey, I understand you met. And Perry lives in California. I live in Idaho. John lives in Arizona. And we all and John was you were telling me about how your buddy's coming down hunting and then come to find out it was Perry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a small world. Small. It is a small world a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. As big as it is, it's pretty small. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. But John, you've been a successful outfitter now for how many years have you been doing that? Um, trying to think as an outfitter. Yeah. Like six, maybe seven years. Okay. I've had my guides license on and off for, you know, 20 years or so, but, um, I'm not, I typically, I have take, you know, myself, uh, until we get into like Havelina season, which is when I have the most time. Mm -hmm. Um, I only take, you know, one or two, three, if I have like a a high profile elk hunt or something like that, then yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm definitely going to be guiding that. Uh, when I say high profile, like, a um, a really good unit, not mm-hmm. necessarily the person who I'm guiding. Yeah. Um, you're kind of selective though on your, cause I know you're busy. You got a business, you have, exactly. you're, you're, as I was saying, is, is if I opt to take somebody elk hunting, that means it probably means I won't be able to go elk hunting for myself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so um, it, it's really, it's mostly about that. Like I, I only get so many get out of jail free cards from the white yeah yeah so (laughs) so i want to try to um i want to try to optimize you know the uh the amount of of time i get to spend in the field for myself sure and you uh, you still have your uh, swimming pool business correct yeah yeah that's that's what pays the bills unfortunately you're busy man i mean and i i remember when we chatted you know in the past we've chatted quite a bit but but I was just thinking, gosh, this guy's just got a lot going on and juggling it. And then I know like today with your kids, you know, you, you help get your kids off to school and everything, which is awesome. You get that opportunity to do that, which being self-employed makes that. I, I mean, that is what my, my pool business has always afforded me a lot of time because I can run it from my cell phone, especially since smartphone was, you know, came about i really don't need to be right there anymore i mean information gets shared pictures get sent videos get sent and i'm like you know okay do this text message i mean i can't tell you how many times i've been on a stalk and we got a text message from one of my guys and i stop and i'm like okay (laughs) put away a text real quick and i'm back on the stalk you know and (laughs) stuff like that um you know because of that though i've i've kind of limited my hunting to areas where at least at the very least I'm going to have cell phone service in the evenings when I get back hunting or in the morning before I leave to go out. So that way I can answer emails and take care of stuff and direct whoever I need to direct in the right, you know, in the right direction. That's always been a great thing about the place where we stay. And I know you still stay there. Some is that you always know you're going to have service around at least. Well, you know, Southern Arizona, because of the border patrol, Mm -hmm there's cell towers everywhere. Yeah. Like when we're hunting down there, I very, very rarely, unless I'm in some crazy Canyon or whatever, I very rarely don't have service. And it's, if I don't have service, it's only for a little, you know, a little while. Yeah. But you don't need yeah. to use uh in reach very often. No, no. Even, even Northern Arizona and elk woods, like there's, I mean, you could get out of service pretty easy up there, but it's not, it's not that hard to get back in service. It's not like, yeah. I remember like hunting in Colorado. I had a, I had a climb from where we were camped at like 10 or 11,000 feet. I had to climb up to like 13, five or something like that, just to get a few bars so I can get a call out or I had to drive out 45 minutes to the nearest town. 
Oh, you know, so you, you don't usually have that kind of a situation, which is annoying. Um, but annoying. I remember back years ago, <laughs> we never even thought about self-service at all. It becomes such a part of your life. Like. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost a necessary evil. Can you imagine if we didn't have the, some of the stuff that we do now? How- well, look at what we're doing, what we're doing now. We're on the, we're on, yeah. the, we're talking face to face on a computer and, yeah. um, you know, it wasn't that long ago. If you and I wanted to do this, we would have had to fly. I would have had to fly to Idaho or you got to yeah. here, whatever, you know, it would have been, it's not feasible. It's not, you know, right. when I first started podcasting, this wasn't available. I, we, we did it by phone. Like I did it by phone. I still do it by phone. Actually. I yeah. think, uh, I've had in the past of my, uh, with my podcast so many times where I have, it sounds me and you sound great right now. I you sound perfect in my headphones. I, I can hear myself well. And then I go back to the recording and it sounds like shit. And I'm like, well, you know, what, what am I going to do? So now I've, I've made it a thing where I'm trying to constantly back up with, with, with a, you know, a different type of recorder at, at some point, you know, like we're oh, gotcha. recording this on, on zoom, but I also have a backup recorder and you guys are recording on your end with the cameras and, you know, yeah. Hopefully between the three of those things, we have, we have a good, <laughs> something decent. Yeah. Yeah. I keep telling Tobert, I got to get him down to that Arizona. And the bad thing about that is it's changed. kind of one of those things you get hooked. I mean, the weather, like I said, nothing else. The weather is just so awesome. Um, I don't know if you heard about the new changes. Okay. Like for and now it's a threshold. Um, they did, they did go with that for the mule deer. For mule deer and coos deer both, so it's oh. general. So each unit has an allotted amount of of, um, of deer, either whitetail or mule deer. There's is it a combo? Like, is there so much whitetail, so much mule deer? Or? No, it's it, yeah, it's so much that you you're. It's not a total amount of deer. Okay, you have a threshold for each species. So just for non-residents, though, correct? It's for everyone. Really? On residents, yeah, which sucks. Yeah, I thought last year, weren't they kind of proposing just for non-residents? They, I mean, that's a talk I'd heard. No, um, it was never proposed to be separate, but the non-resident take is still the same as if it was a draw. You only have ten percent. Okay. Like, like for instance, and this is this is actually real numbers. Like one unit has thirty deer. You're allowed to shoot thirty deer in it total which means three deer are for non for out of state wow uh, is that without mentioning a unit you and i hunt down there one of the ones we met is that are you talking about that unit down there i'm not talking about that unit but that unit is not that far off okay the they, they rolled this out with really really uh conservative numbers because oh. the deer herd is really hurting bad is it? Two years with the drought, everybody was whacking them off of water. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my outfit. Okay. And we had one guy in 2020, one guy that didn't shoot a deer in archery. Huh. And that's typically a, you know, I think 16, 15% uh, success rate hunt. Wow. Generally. You know, with was it water holes with an outfitter goes up to about 25, 30, you know, um, we had one guy and he wounded a deer, 
one guy go home without a deer. And then yeah. the following year, again, we were like 90, 90 something percent success rate. And, you know, most, most, I mean, we had some spot stock, but most of them were sitting in water and they, those deer were tied to water. You had a massive drought and only the, you know, permanent water and an X amount of spots. And they, it was, it was bad. And I actually kind of felt bad about it afterwards. I'm like, you know, we shouldn't be doing this, man. We should give these guys an opportunity, right? You know, you have this, you have this balance in your head. You have this thing in your head. You like, you want to do right by your client and give them the best opportunity possible. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't want to hurt the, the herd. Right. But the herd herd got demolished. I mean, we, we, we wrecked it. We shot ourselves in the foot and then, you know, fishing game in the last, I don't know how many years ago it was now, they started really putting money into um, the influencers and so on and so forth um, and really promoting the hunts. Like, I don't know if you noticed it or not. Like you, you started coming down here way before it was like a popular thing, but. Oh, nine. Oh, nine is when I started coming down there. So 13 years ago, whatever. um, I would say about five or six years ago. It went from me seeing a few people in January, never seeing a soul, never seeing a soul in December, late December. Yeah. The, the, the rifle, you know, you saw the rifle hunters that, that got lucky enough to draw a tag, but yeah, never saw a soul down there. Like places that I used to hunt where if I saw one, two guys in a day, like now you're like fighting. Like I had Charles here from hell. My, uh, the one hunting buddy of yours. Yeah, my hunting buddy, my my the the guy I hunt the most with, I would say he's one really good friend of mine and uh, the co-founder of of Halfa Wildlife. And uh, we we were here. He was here in twenty one January twenty one, and um, we almost went to blows with some guys. Like this is like it's re- some guys from Pennsylvania. I like I'm a I'm a fairly like even kill guy i'm i'm very um you know i walk away from a lot yeah and then there's like this little switch you get me to a certain point with certain things and i'm yeah. and i do i do stupid stuff so i try to practice what i preach for the most part and and just you know be good to everybody type situation but then you know you get me to a point and i'm you know the brooklyn ease and me kicks in and i start doing stupid <laughs> shit but um so yeah, for the most part, I'm, you know, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm, good I'm pretty good about, uh, you know, making sure everybody's uh, in diffusing situations. And yeah, well, we try to be as accommodating as we can, and I always try to look at it as you know how I want to be treated. But then you get those guys who, no matter what, they're just gonna, yeah, they're gonna just push it and think that. Yeah. Anyway, so going back to this hunt, when if people are planning on coming here. Um, your plans will change. Like if you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go hunt unit so and so. Well, guess what? Unit so and so may be closed by the time you get here, especially in January, because yeah. the threshold starts on the August hunts. Oh, yep. Wow. Yep. Good to know. Yeah. Well, this year it starts on the August hunts. Still. So, but Havelina, Havelina didn't change as far as there's. Well, Havelina is a draw, so. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that won't change. I, um, I, I honestly, like I was pushing, I was advocating for this threshold 
But now that I'm kind of seeing how they're working it exactly, I don't know that I like it. I don't know that I like it. If I had to, I, I originally was trying to, I was thinking we should do this kind of like Idaho does, right? It should be first come first serve and you just put out X amount of tags and that's it. Yeah. Right. You know what the statistics are, you know, what the, um, what do you call it? The, uh, the success rates are and whatnot. Let's just put X amount of tags out there, but, and, and make them in blocks, make them in blocks of units. So like, you know, let's say a four block unit, right? Mm-hmm. You can come hunt this four block unit. That way, it- kind of like we have our zones here, you mean? Yeah, basically. Yeah. That way you can separate. Because mm-hmm. one of the problems is too, is that we're, we're getting a high concentration. Like where you, you met me right down there, that those units get freaking absolutely destroyed. Thanks to like Randy Newberg and all those other yeah. guys, you know, like, you know, you're, you're spouting out the damn unit or like, like it's like, so people are like, Oh, cool. Let's go to, you know, let's yeah. go there. Let's go there. that's what happened. That's what changed Idaho too. You know, when they changed it a couple of years ago was those same, same thing. There was just, you know, a couple, well, there, you know, maybe a handful of zones, those zones that were being, you know, kind of like the Randy thing, you know, internet blown up and all that. And you get, 15, 1,600 guys, non-residents. That didn't count the residents hunting one zone. And yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah. I, and I, listen, I've been part of that. I've been privy to that. Like I'm, I, I'm, I, um, I'll hold myself accountable. Some, some fault to that as well. You know, I did, I've done plenty of uh, promoting of, of that because at the time I was like, all right, you know, this is cool. Let's get more people in Arizona, more people hunting. And, you know, and I might be able to sell some more hunts, whatever, you know, I was, I thought about it from that. And then I started realizing I'm like, this is really affecting my own personal hunting. And I don't care. I don't need, I don't need to guide. I'm not doing this to make money. You know, I do it because I enjoy it. Right. Yeah. Um, and it keeps the, the guys that work for me, keeps them working. And, uh, but once it starts messing with my own personal hunting, then I'm like, you know, well, hindsight, a lot of times you don't realize how much it's really going to affect. Right. And then when, then all of a sudden, I feel like I should have known better. Cause I, I'm, I kind of saw it. I saw the writing on the wall, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if I chose to ignore it or what, but I don't know. Ironically, how you says, you know, that area gets hammered that, you know, where we met, um, the one buddy of mine, Curtis, that I go down there with, he, uh, we were talking this last in January. It's the least amount of deer I've ever seen, and and we we didn't see much javelina either. I mean, literally, and we we're in areas that that we normally see enough to hunt. I think the javelina, actually, the population is still is still very good. Mm-hmm. The reason why you didn't see javelina is because the grass was freaking chest high and you just weren't literally could be be looking at them and you wouldn't see them. Yeah. Um, because historically, um, I, I hunt those units a lot for mm-hmm. javelina and I would go to areas where I always, and so one thing about javelina is you, if you find them in an area, uh, typically if the, um, 
habitat doesn't change or there's no drastic uh, changes in water sources or whatever fire or something yeah they're going to be in those year after year after year after year they're, they choose those areas specifically because of it, it suits their needs and that, i mean that goes for deer and, and stuff as well but it's it's really holds true with javelina yeah um i would see glimpses of them and then i wouldn't see them wow. at all you know it was we was it was so hard to get client like it's the first year in i don't even know how long well three years ago we had a bad snowstorm and i had one client shooting this but it's the first year i had a client like i mean he had opportunities i put them on them but they were not solid like they weren't like Havelina opportunities yeah yeah somebody who was a little bit more um you know, well-versed in, in fi- the biggest thing with Havelina, especially if you're using a firearm, is being able to locate them in the scope, right? Um, somebody who had more experience probably would have gotten it done, but um, it was just, it was, it was crazy, you know? It was crazy. It was a crazy, crazy haunt. And um, I, a lot of it has to do with the, the visibility. And so... Yeah, I was kind of thinking <clears throat> that, uh, you know, when Curtis and I were talking about maybe looking at some different areas for next year. And and, and we did see more people than ever and uh, than we ever have as well. And like I said, the, you know, I primarily go down there for coos deer personally, but um, um, we just didn't see them like normal. And I don't know, um, but it is kind of kind of frustrating because because uh i'm actually surprised that they didn't go since the new hunting license starts in january that they didn't go from january till in december well there's some crossover for from people having uh paper tags and so on and so forth so i think that's another reason why they went really really low with the threshold Uh they know that there's going to be a certain percentage of people that are don't know that they have to check in so you aren't going to get closed i i assume that this system is going to get a little bit more robust you know plus once the deer herd kind of rebounds and i think we had a really two years in a row now or two this is our second spring i should say not two years but last spring and this spring um we've had good you know good rains and good forage for you know, right before uh, fawns are going to drop and all that other stuff. So the, I think the deer herd's going to rebound pretty good. And between that and I think they were like, honestly being really conservative because of the chance of um, more deer being taken than they really wanted to, that they kept that, that, you know, really low. Yeah. Um, so we'll see, we'll see in a couple of years. Um yeah. It's a five year plan anyway. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. They're gonna reevaluate it for, for the next and see what changes they have to make. Actually, technically, they have it written that they can make changes, you know, on a yearly basis. But oh. uh, as a as a whole, as a program as a whole, they'll re they'll relook at it five years from now. Oh. So gotcha. All right, I want to do I do want to hear a good story here from you. Okay. 
An elk story. Let's let's hear an elk story. An elk story. Good yeah. Um. Well, let's talk about my uh my elk from last year. Yeah. That, that was good. that was a uh, that was a cool trip. So leading up to it, and I drew, I drew in Idaho or drew yeah. whatever I. I felt like I drew it. I waited online for it. Is almost like a draw. <laughs> um, I, I, I we got the tag that we wanted, uh, Charles and I. And Charles actually had been hunting in that unit several times. Okay. And I had never been there. I hadn't been elk hunting in Idaho since early two thousands. Actually, when you could still buy a tag and show up yeah and, and i hunted up in the panhandle and there was a bunch of elk and as before the wolves killed everything off over there yeah. and, you know it was a great hunt i actually didn't kill one on that last hunt uh but i was in them you know i had a lot of opportunity it's just you know my own my own stupidity i guess uh did charles get one uh charles did not get one I, I got one last year, but I'm talking about the, the hunt before. So yeah. anyway, so leading up to the hunt, we were like, okay, we're, we got this awesome place to stay. Um, friend of Charles's that, um, he has a cabin out there. So it was, a you know, uh, like a straight up log cabin, but it had all the amenities. Like, you know, it was a, it's a good setup, great setup and, uh, and Wi-Fi and everything, you know, like nuts. So, um, it was perfect situation. Right. And we're like, okay, well, we'll get this and we'll spike out from here if need be. And, uh, we actually went out and set up, well, Charles actually showed up a day and a half earlier than I got there. And he went and spiked out a couple of campsites for us. And, um, we actually never ended up using any of those camps. We just kept hiking in every day and hiking back out every day it was all oh. hiking. there was no there's no truck access um you know you could drive to a trailhead but it was it really didn't save you all that much time um yeah it was nuts we were doing 12 i think we averaged 12 miles a day wow and um in and out 12 miles a day yeah, in and out 12 miles a day uh and we were doing like 2500 feet in elevation change oh. so you know it was quite a bit of hiking you know yeah. <laughs> had we spiked out we probably would have cut that down at least you know four four miles or so you know a day which you know it adds up it adds up yeah but um anyway we uh that first first morning we got out and i literally stepped out of the cabin i got up before everybody and it was you know pitch black and you know, I just I make this little low moan, you know, and I just kind of like ended it with a little, and then I went a little chuckle right after. And then I heard one way up, you know, way up the canyon answer back because it was crystal clear, just cold, really cold morning. It was, um, I don't know, it was in the 20s or something, but um, it actually ended up snowing that day. We, uh, we decided we, you know, like, oh, well, we got, we got one bugle and let's, let's go after it. Um, when they, we got ourselves together, we went and we started going and, um, uh, 
it starts snowing. We got in on him and I'm like, listen, in my, in my head, I want, because this was Charles's area, you know, he has taken me to his area. I've never been there before in my head. I was like, I want to give him the first opportunity. So I pretty much said to myself, I'm going to call for him for the rest of the, you know, for this hunt and, uh, or until he gets one, at least, at least for the first couple of days anyway, you know, that in my head. But so we, uh, we get on and spill and, I think he was, he had cows. I didn't know he had cows because he didn't, he wasn't like, he wasn't being defensive ever. Yeah. And it was like, I didn't know that he had cows until we got really, we got really close. Um, we, we messed with him pretty much the whole morning and we got socked in with fog and I got him to come, but he was only, he would hang up. He was like, I, I, I would say it was pretty thick. I would say probably the closest he ever got was like 80 yards. Maybe I never really got eyes on. I just saw some bodies kind of going through the trees, but I never got it. Cause I was, I was also sitting back and Charles, I don't think ever really got a good clean look at him. We end up glassing him up later that afternoon, uh, right before, you know, for, right for the evening hunt, we put another move on him. But anyway, we were kind of like, going and going we put a lot of miles on that day i think that day we actually did about 14 or so and we had to stop and make a campfire it was freaking got so cold and windy and snow was coming sideways so everything kind of shut up um i glassed up in in the uh in the whiteout i like before it got really bad i glassed up this little raghorn bull and i'm like hey charles you want to shoot this bull he's like yeah let's I'm, i'm gonna go shoot it and he stalked it and he got like, I don't know, I think 50 yards from it. Oh. He just needed him to make one more, like one more step to give him a better shot because he was kind of quartering two. Um, and he had him. But anyway, so that, so in the first day, we ended up having like three opportunities for him. And because it, like, like I said, we found that other that bull again later on the next uh, later on in the evening and it kind of cleared up like it stopped snowing and the sun kind of came out uh we stalked he stalked that one as well so the next morning i literally did the same thing but it, it i i let out a bugle this time and it came cl- really much closer and we went up it, uh it was closer but way way straight up it was straight up this canyon and uh we went after that and we were just chasing bugles all morning long and really much all the way to the, to uh, the evening. We just, we kept having like, I want to say encounters, but we never had any opportunities on that second day. And I was like, well, you know, whatever, this is cool, man. We're still seeing tons of elk. We're getting into things. Uh, Charles actually had an opportunity to shoot it. Uh, we had a deer tags also. He had an opportunity to shoot a, you know, small, a young buck and we decided to pass on it. But um, then the very next morning, we're like, we think these elk are going to be right where they were again. They were feeding because we never bumped them. We never really like, they never knew that we were there. And again, from camp, I got them to light up. In Arizona, I try to get as close as I possibly can in the dark. Like, I want to get to the herd while it's still dark before they decide to start moving. Mm-hmm. Um, because in my head, I can, well, I figured it out too, from being up there the, the, 
previous day, um, they were feeding in an open meadow, right? And they're just, as soon as it got light, they started, you know, kind of working, not exactly when it turned light, but, you know, within, within 30 minutes of it, you know, first light, they started moving into the trees and so on and so forth. I'm like, yeah, let's do, let's just go, let's get up there. We got it. We got really close in there. It was just, you know, just turned first light. We were probably within 200 yards of them. They would just start again, just starting to get light. And I said, listen, let's, we're going to get in really close and I'm going to pretend like I'm a bull trying to call his cows away. You know, I'm going to do a bull cow, call cows, bugle, round up bugle, whatever you want, you know, whoever you talk to. Yeah. <laughs> give you, give you a different, uh, you know, terminology for it. But so let's get in there. Let's press them real close and let's do that. And and we did that. We got in fairly close, but I didn't have the right, I feel like we didn't have the right setup for it. Uh, and it was already really light, you know, at this point, by the time we snuck in close enough and I could see the bull, he was a good bull. Um, probably like that three forty class bull, mm. you know, like a, like, especially for public land. Yeah. That's good. Solid bull. He was a slammer. Right. And he had a giant harem. So I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, but let's, let's stay on this tree line. We had this little rise between us and them. It might work. I don't know. Um, I did it. And of course, you know, he, he fired up, he like cut me off before I was even done, but he kind of like, for lack of better terminology, like Mark mock charged. He like came like 50 yards and he stopped and he's just looking around, you know, waiting for me to show myself. And, um, yeah, we, we probably could have shot a cow at that point. You know, we were probably close enough to some of his cows. Um, but it never worked out. You can never pull them out of that herd. Like I, I, if I had a little bit better situation terrain wise, where he had to really come to look, yeah, I think we could have made that happen, but it, it didn't happen. Now that very same bull, we end up having an encounter with, um, on, on day four, but so they start moving up through the trees. And of course we stayed with the herd We're we're following the herd and he's just light. And now as he's going, you know, he's bugling, you know, he's rounding up his cows and bugling the whole way up through. And now he's getting other bulls to go off. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, we're going to kind of get into this like little rut fest situation here. We get, we get to this point and it's kind of hard to paint the picture, but it's like, where two intersecting ridge lines meet and you got a really distinct saddle and a big wide open sagebrush face. And then it's like, you know, it's all, um, I don't know if those are fir trees or whatever. I don't, they're definitely not ponderosa pines. I don't know. I know that, but they're pine trees and, uh, and on the whole side, and then it dips off to a, a spring down to our left and the, the, the saddles up and to the right. And in front of us is that, that, uh, sage bowl. And we get there and we start hearing a bull bugling from like where the direction of the spring is, Mm -hmm. but we could tell he's a little bit further off, but 
but it sounds like he might be coming up that cut. And the bull that we were chasing, he went off into the off into the right. We come over and my cameraman goes, John, 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 John. He sees two cows up coming over the top of that sage bowl. And I'm like, oh shit, we're kind of like in the opening. So we like kind of quickly back to the, just to the tree line. And here comes, I mean, an absolute slob, a giant bull, like 360 bull mm. pushing 12 cows over the top. Is he heading towards that water or? Uh, no, he was just coming to that sagebrush to open up. And I think the lead cow kind of caught movement because they we, we were in a stare off and it was, we had just shed layers too because we were moving fast and we were trapped there for an hour oh. with these and they never came down. They would kind of like stay. We were, I think the closest we were was a hundred and 40 yards maybe and i'm like and he's just pushing the bull never knew anything but the cow there was like two cows that just kept staring down where we were we were just laying there just waiting 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 I'm like praying actually we were praying that we're just going to keep working their way down i think they would have come had that cow not kind of caught some movement at the end where we were trying to get into cover otherwise we were literally in, in the sagebrush um and they 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 end up coming over and like I said, got into about 140 yards and then they turned around and eventually fed back up and over where they came from, which was, so all the while there's other bulls bugling down here and that, that, that bugle is getting closer and closer. We could tell I'm like, he's going to that spring. Right. So as soon as they cleared the top, we, we started going towards the spring. I'm like, let's, let's get over to here. This bull sounds like he's, you know, he's a location bugle. He's going to be by himself. Let's, let's get over there. Let's go give him what he wants. And there was two like elk trails that um, like transected this little uh, saddle that we were kind of moving around. Right. And I took the lower one thinking that Charles and, and, uh, Dan, Dan was my cameraman and good friend of mine. Um, we're going to take the same route. They didn't. And so when, when we got across onto the other side and we were heading to the spring, I was 50 or 60 yards in front of them. And I'm very aggressive, like super aggressive. And Charles is not. He's the, he's the opposite. His, his handle on, on Instagram is shadow trekker. Like he's a very sneaky guy. I'm not, I'm like a, you know, bull in a China shop kind of guy. So, they're kind of moving slower and I'm like, let's charge, charge, charge. So I'm like way ahead of them. And then I turn around and I realize that they're not there, but I hear the bull in front of me and I had just made two cow noise, like two cow chirps, like yeah. you know, low ones. And, and I did it because the trail we were on was like, it was almost like volcanic rock. It was like really loud. Oh. You know, usually when you're on an elk trail, it's because it's beaten. It's usually quieter, right? Yeah. But I, it was kind of crunchy sound. And I'm like, oh, man, he might be able to hear this. I don't know. So I kind of just made it sound like I was a cow. Smart. Freaking ripped. He rips a bugle right after that. So I run up to the edge of the trees because it was like converging and it was going to come out to another opening. And and I hear a bugle and he's closer. And I'm like, oh, shit. I just get down, got my pack on, everything still. And I freaking knock an arrow. And they're coming up behind me and they realize what's going on. So they, they hang back like 50 yards behind me. And then Charles Calicles, I, I turn to him and I said, 
I say cow call, you know, like he saw my mouth and I said cow call and he, he chirps. Right. And here comes the bull just lumbering comes around the corner. As soon as he comes around the corner, I'm at full draw. And I had like pre-ranged a couple of things. Uh, there wasn't much. It was pretty wide open right there. So like yeah. I knew I was going to have to really kind of, you know, guess. And um, I, uh, he was facing like quartering, quartering to me, but I was aiming for his neck. Um, and I'm like, I'm at that spot right now where I'm like, if he has enough time to react and turn, he's going to, he's going to catch, he's still going to either catch it like, you know, straight in the neck, like across the neck, like a, like a broadside through the neck, or yeah. it, I'm going to hit where I'm aiming. And I saw, and luckily for me, the one thing that kind of where I kind of lucked out is I had missed judged him about five yards and so when he kind of dropped a little bit it actually kind of worked to my favor i think i I think it would have been lethal either way but so he uh he gets there he's he's looking at me and i could tell he's gonna go and i'm like i'm gonna shoot now that's it because he's gonna go and i and i shot and of course he reacted a little bit but my arrow hit right where i wanted to and like i said he kind of dropped a little bit which kind of helped me out and uh, he ran right back to the spring, and he died right there at the spring. Oh. <laughs> it was pretty incredible. Uh, that, is, that, that, that hunt is up on my YouTube, too, as well. Um, oh, good. I was going to ask you if you got it all on film. Yeah, they, they, those guys started rolling right after, you know. Nice. And uh, and I had – actually, I had just filmed myself, too, going to him on my phone. Oh. It worked out, it worked out really good. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we uh, – Spent the rest of the day packing him out. And then we still had some time that afternoon, but I was spent. And Charles was like, I'm going to go out. So Charles Charles went out by himself. He's an animal. Um, anyway, so uh, he didn't have anything going on that. But then in the next few days, we actually, we got on that big 360. We got on that 340. It was a, it was a great, great hunt. It just, for some reason, every time, we made an opportunity for Charles. It like at the very last second, it fell apart. You know, the wind would change or, you know, some, some, something yeah. crazy. Um, the most memorable was with that 340 again, was almost the same scenario. Uh, they went up through that, that same saddle we were talking about and we followed them. And we saw like, we, we know where they're going because they went this way. Let's, let's, we never chased them the day before, but we know they're going this way. We got in on and we came through the trees and we could see him like walking back and forth, just trying to round his cows up and get him to wherever he wanted to go. And I'm like, we have the terrain now. We're going to make this work. I'm like, I'm like, go set up over here and I'm going to drop back here. And so and I swung back around and I tried to, uh, and I did the same scenario. Like I want to try to call his cows away. I, he bugled and I cut him off with like a bull call and cow's bugle. And so he came boom, 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 right to the edge. And it was such a crappy situation because the, the, um, the aspect of, or the, the slope was so steep right there. Had Charles moved up where I had really wanted him to go. Like he's hung back 
where there was some more cover. Mm-hmm. And we were just, we weren't able to communicate because I was 60. I, even though he could see me talking, I was, he wasn't looking at me. Uh, Dan kept looking back at me and I was trying to communicate to Dan. And I don't think Dan was telling him the yeah. right. Well, we found out later on that he wasn't. He was like, he misunderstood what I was. I'm like, push up, push up, push up, push up. Because he, he basically, I don't know. It's hard to paint this picture on a, on a podcast, you know, in words. If you picture an elk coming right to the edge of like a, a steep, decline right my charles and dan were on the on the downside of that decline if they were moved up five more yards they would have saw the head and neck of this of this elk like that's how close he came and he came and he looked and where i effed up was instead of me making the the cow uh, excuse me the bugle and then moving behind this tree that was right there or even setting up behind the tree what i wanted to do was you know to pull him in the direction of Charles right? I made the bugle instead of me sitting there watching him coming. I should have like got behind a tree. I just got down and laid down and I realized, and I'm not a hundred percent sure, but my in reach was on my backpack on those over my left shoulder. And the sun was glaring. Up. I think it was, sun was reflecting off because I caught that reflection many times as I was hiking, if it flipped forward. Yeah. And I'm like, he got to that edge. He would have kept on coming maybe a little bit more, maybe that five yards or whatever, had he not seen that reflection. Yeah. And he just sat there and he stared, stared at me. And I'm kind of like looking out of the corner of my eye, like laying down in the sagebrush right there. And I'm like, oh, shit, come on, come on, come on. And I thought that at this point, they got to be able to see him, but they couldn't. Yeah. And I got over to where he was after it all kind of fell apart. And I looked at it. And I'm like, oh, my God, if you would have just went up to that next little bush like I wanted you to, like, we would have we would have killed this thing. Right. Yeah. So it was just a series of this. And then we actually, that I don't remember if it was the last, it wasn't the last day. It was the second to the last day we got on that 360. And this is, this is one of the issues. See, normally Charles and I work really well together. Like I said, I'm very go, 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 go. And he's very like, let's, let's take it easy. Let's take it easy. And so we kind of balance each other out. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this was the first hunt that I felt like, our conflicting styles hurt us because we sat there like on this bull. This happened actually several times. We're like, if we would have just went instead of debating back and forth, Oh, we should probably do this. Or we should probably do. We wasted like 20 minutes watching this bull and, and cows down here. Like if we would have got over there and got in position where we wanted to, we, we talked about it. Like, let's get right there. If we get right there, the freaking elk came right to that spot. Like we would, we would have killed them anyway. So they got to that spot and they ended up so starting to bed down in these trees that were there. So we're like, all right, well, cool. The wind's good. Let's just go make a move on them. Right. We left Dan up top to film from up top. We get over there. We're 30 yards from the bull or 30 yards from one of his cows and probably within 50 yards of the bull. And everything is working out great. I'm like, all right. I'm like, I'm like, let's, I'm going to call from right here because it was super thick. There was no way to really kind of getting any closer without getting busted. No sooner that that, that thought process happened, the wind switches. We both, when we looked at each other, we screwed. Boom. The whole herd busts out. And I'm like, oh, like, you know, just dumb crap like that. Yeah. Um, There's so many times where you think nothing could st- screw this up for lack of better terms. And, and then just like you said, you think, you know, this is perfect. Everything's going to go right. And then 
I never think that. I never think nothing is. I'm such a pessimist. I think it's always going to blow up. Like that's my. I'm such. A, I'm bad when it comes to that. But it it doesn't stop me from trying. Um, we actually oh, yeah. after that blew up and he ran the other direction. The other satellite bulls. We thought they were satellite bulls. It actually wasn't a satellite bull. They were still bugling. So we went after them and we like we got to this point and at this we were so spent. We were so far back. This was the day we did the most miles. Um. And just packed your elk out the day before, right? Yeah. Uh, two days before. Yeah. But, oh, man. And so this was like day five. And I shot mine on day three. But the uh, this bull, the bugle sounded like he was down below us. And in essence, he was down and back up the other side. Oh. And so when we got down and he was, everything I threw at him, he was, he was answering. Like, like I, I quit bugling and I was just cow calling the whole way. And he just kept trying to call us up to him. And I was like, Oh, where the hell is he? Man, I feel like he should be right here. So like, and then we started getting like really close. And I'm like, actually Charles said, he's like, I think he's up. And I'm like, oh, man, you, you might be right. So anyway, we got over there and sure as hell we could see him pushing cows back and forth. You know, and he was like just up this. There was no real good approach, and um, we opted not to because it just didn't make sense. I mean, it was one of those like I don't even know why they were on this hillside, but it was stupid, like super steep. Um, that's probably why <laughs> no one's going to come after me here. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. We we gave it hell, and he had some opportunities. But it was never like just a solid, solid opportunity. And I, I feel like decision making really killed us on the on on his thing. Like it was like, oh, if we would have did this, we would have made it. Like you know, it was just one little, one little difference in in or or timing. It was, but uh, yeah, it, it was a good time. We had a great time. Yeah, you guys hunting together this year? You got a. Did you, you're waiting on a tag to find out if you drew one, dude. What happened with that? Um, I think I find out at the end of this month whether or not I draw it. I think it's in May, at the end of May. Those results come out. Okay. So, yeah, and if not, I'll, I have a tag in Idaho that's kind of yeah. – You can always get rid of that because they, they go on sale. But, <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. Whatever. We'll see. You'll get to hunt somewhere at least. I also have a, a guy that drew a hunt here that I had guided previously in a late uh, late archery hunt. And he's got a unit that I know very well. It's not an excellent unit. It's actually not a great unit at all anymore. It used to be a fantastic unit. There's a lot of elk there. But as far as trophy quality is concerned, it's, it's gone really, really, really downhill. Um, but... So I may, if I don't get the tag that I want, I may still not, may still turn that Idaho tag back in and just guide him. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So we'll see. Cause he really wants me to guide him. He does. I mean, he, he's still gonna, he's still gonna hunt with us either way, but he would prefer me over. Oh, I see. Just cause, just cause we have. Yeah. He built the rapport up with, with, uh, no, but, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going elk hunting either way, basically. <laughs> Whether you're hunting or guiding or something. Yeah, exactly. So. Cool. 